Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time to go inside the film room with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry and Scott Seidenberg breaking down college football from a different angle. It's the College Football Film Room Podcast. The national champion is crowned. Come on inside the College Football Film Room and let's talk all about it. I'm Scott Seidenberg, joined as always by veteran scout coach and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. And Chris, we can now make it four national championships for LSU, all four being won in New Orleans. Yeah, certainly um, a lot of that obviously has to do with the history of the the, the rotation in New Orleans and the first one in 58 being um, you know, the Sugar Bowl, and uh, that was pre-Superdome, so that was Tulane Stadium. It, it was a uh, phenomenal year. It uh, You know, one of those things that as the season began to progress, you could see this team getting better. And, um, you know, for people who don't know, they're – their their offices are right down the road from me. I mean, I can be there in in ten minutes, and they over here, and so I'm very close to the program. Obviously, you could see that things look better and different, but you know, it's a growing process. And as the season went along, certainly the Texas game was nice, and you know, beating Florida and beating Auburn, but it really was the Alabama game that kind of, uh, pardon the pun, kind of turned the tide a little bit in that you could see that team play with a level of confidence all year long. It just went into high gear after the Alabama game. It was almost as, you know, that was the sign that if we can go on the road and beat that team who not had any trouble, we not had any success beating, then we can beat anybody, anytime, anywhere. And we're now the team to beat it. And that was the case. We saw them kind of finish out the season. People, you know, critique their defense, I think fairly with, hey, it doesn't look dominant. And it wasn't. Uh, it was different with going with a faster pace offense affecting the defense. It affected the depth. They did not have enough depth on the defense that they typically have. And combined with that, there were significant injuries that limited their ability to be the typical dominant defense. And again, the style uh, certainly affected it, and uh, certainly Ole Miss just ran a bunch of yards, and it would never threaten to beat LSU, but it certainly made it look ugly. And then, as they got a little bit healthier, they they just demolished AM, a pretty good AM team. I know their record doesn't show up, but they're pretty good. And then just completely dominated a Georgia defense. And then we know that the likelihood is they got the number one seed that they, the matchup against Oklahoma was definitely in their favor with Oklahoma's defense, and then it was up against Clemson. And, you know, I thought that Clemson – I broke down the tape. I went to the game, Scott, and so I, somebody was driving, and as I was coming back last night, I rewatched the tape and, on uh, the iPad, and, and I'm looking at it, and, you know, I was really su- – not surprised, but when you watch it, how well Clemson played. Yeah, they had a good scheme. They well, especially got early on. Rush. Early on, I thought well, they, they, looked, they, they looked great. They got, they got good pressure. They covered well. They just got beat by an offense that just didn't have any answers for it. At some point, it at some point, it's about players making plays, and that's what happened. It was 
I, I, I would say that offensively, we I talked about, we talked about, and I broke it down on LandryFootball.com, that you can slow down LSU's offense perhaps for stretches. But for the long stretch, probably going to be tough to do. So can you match points? Well, no, they couldn't. It wasn't Trevor Lawrence's best game. Nope. He missed some throws. Third downs, LSU, Dave Aranda, that defense came up big. Only one conversion of third downs. That was the game. Clemson could not keep up points-wise. And I thought Brent Venables had, a, as I mentioned, a great game plan. Got LSU confused. But great adjustments. What I saw is LSU getting to the line of scrimmage basically by formation, formationing the play to see if it was man coverage or not. Then he would basically look to the sidelines in position to take the snap out of the shotgun, turn his head, get the word on the nod, and basically they were looking for man matchup for Jamar Chase. So they were able, um, you know, to to see the right matchups that would allow them to make plays. And then it's Jamar Chase here, Jamar Chase there. And then then it became the shootout that we all thought. So it was, you know, people may say and, and use it another term that it was a feeling out process. But what it was is you're trying to get a feel what they're doing, what they're playing. Um and yet, they, they once they were able to do it, the points started to come. And you know, even at the end, they could have scored points that they didn't need, and they didn't. I thought it was a class move. But even in a – it was, by LSU standards, an off day, yet <laughs> they scored 42 points. And can you imagine if, you know, if they'd figured it out sooner? In, in essence, Scott, I, I got to say that – um, it's it's probably the best offensive performance I have seen in a single year in 50 years of watching football, in college yeah. football. Um, the best single year by a quarterback, the best single year by a total offense. Unbelievable. 60 touchdown passes, 6-0 for mm-hmm. Burrow. How about this? Joe Burrow had more touchdown passes in two playoff games against two playoff teams than Ole Miss, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt had all season long. That's that incredible. That is Let absolutely that incredible. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, the offensive pass interference call was a little ridiculous there at the end. If that touchdown counts, it's a 10-point game with nine minutes left. Who knows what happens? I still think LSU pulls it out, but certainly the final nine minutes were very anticlimactic, and it could have been different if they don't call that offensive pass interference. Was it a give back because the play before that that was a defensive pass interference was a complete phantom call? Maybe, but it was a Pac-12 officiating crew, and we all know how much the Pac-12 refs get uh, get ripped. But that's beside the point. You know, that was it's a good point. Let me give you another one. Mm Mm-hmm that I don't know if it was brought out. In fact, I watched the TV copy, and I, I don't remember them saying it. And it may not have been noticed on TV because you may not have seen it. So, obviously, LSU gets a score prior to the half. LSU comes out beginning in the second half, and Clemson gets a stop. Then Clemson gets the ball. They score. They cut it to three. So, LSU – you know, gets the ball. They got three, you know, three point lane. 
Clemson gets a stop. Clemson has the ball. They're in their territory. Um, and there's a flare pass to Travis Etienne. And it's kind of an innocuous play that you probably need to go back and watch. And again, TV copy may not show it. It's third down. LSU linebacker Patrick Queen, who was the defensive MVP and was outstanding, makes a tackle on ATN. If he doesn't make that tackle, yes. that may be a 70-yard yeah. touchdown run yep. or certainly setting it up. It, it's at that point maybe Clemson takes the lead. Well, Keep I'm, in mind. I'm, I'm, you glad you, I'm glad you brought up ATN because on the in the third quarter, his 14th carry of the game, he had a three-yard touchdown run. There's five minutes left in the third quarter. He had 80 yards on the night, mm-hmm. and that made the score 28-25. Mm-hmm. LSU then goes three and out, mm-hmm. and then Clemson gets the ball back. That's the the, the drive that you're talking about with the flare yes. pass and whatnot. Yes. But from that moment on, after he scored that touchdown, with five minutes left in the third quarter, Chris, he carried the ball one more time for the remainder of the game. Yeah. No, f- and, and that is to me, that's just inexcusable. And I know that you're down and I know that you want to 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 try and have Trevor Lawrence pull you back in this game. But it was clear he was off. And your biggest weapon offensively besides Trevor Lawrence is Travis Etienne. And the fact that he only got one more carry when it was a three point game at that point. How do you not put the ball in his hands at least once or twice a possession? Well, and then on that on that series I'm talking about, they did work it to him, and then they had to punt, and then LSU scores. Then it's ten. Then then it's then it becomes a little bit more of a skewing the run game to try to make some big plays because yep. then time became the element. But look, you're right, and you mentioned the interference call could have been a factor. Here's the bottom line. Here's here's something else that's amazing. You realize that LSU did not trail at any point during the season in the fourth quarter, not once. They also never trailed by double digits until the first quarter last night. Correct. But you know, there's a lot of time in, in the fourth quarter. So <laughs> you know, you, you'll wonder if if you know again if it's close, we're we're going to see the magic of bringing them back. It, they they never had to. They never were really threatened. I mean, the biggest threat was okay. Last night, down ten nothing. When you think, boy, they they can't they can't figure out the offense. And I kept thinking, I kept tweeting out, um, "Look out!" You know, LSU's going to have to figure this out. I think they will, but you're watching a really good game plan. But we're going to see the adjustments, and like like the adjustments, people forget it's a long season. I know. But Auburn and Florida, particularly Florida in the first half, had the best defensive game plan well, for a half because, quite frankly, it took LSU to the third quarter to figure it out where it took LSU to the second quarter in this game. So the best quarter defending LSU, without question, was last night. Yeah, but it, it, in in the end of the day, they really figured out it enough, and it was just it's unbelievable. 
We'll get back into the podcast in just a second. But as we are into the new year and the NFL playoffs are winding down for the first time in a long time, the Patriots got knocked out on wildcard weekend. And we know the Baltimore Ravens aren't going to the Super Bowl. So who's your next pick? Well, head over to mybookie.ag to make your predictions a reality. MyBookie is one of the most trusted in the industry, and if football's not your thing, no worries. MyBookie's got it all, from the NBA to the Premier League. Yep, I said Premier, not Premier. They've got odds on the UFC as well, and with everybody's favorite Irish nuisance fighting this Saturday the 18th, well, things are bound to get interesting. MyBookie has the fastest payouts, best promotions, and a very helpful 24-7 customer service team. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra 1000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code BLV to get your extra cash from MyBookie. Bet, win, get paid. And we talk about the what-ifs with Clemson. There's what-ifs with LSU as well. I mean, Jamar Chase drops a touchdown that would have been his third touchdown of the game and probably would have been the knockout blow 10 minutes earlier than they got the knockout blow. So you can say what-if with Clemson, what-if with Clemson. LSU had their fair share of of miscues. Even on the first or second, first series. Well, the first series, uh, Joe Burrow escaped what would have been a safety. Yes. He was wrapped up in the end zone. And they made a big play, obviously called back an illegal man downfield. Then you have the drop by Chase that would have been the first down. So, you know, it was a partly figuring it out, but partly just kind of settling down and making plays because there were some drops there that Marshall had a couple of big plays, but he had some drops. So, yeah, that's just, you know, it, it took some time, and it's one of those things. If you have one of those offensive nights that are just not quite as good, and it wasn't, and it was really good. The, the one thing that Clemson did consistently well that never LSU never adjusted to was the the protection schemes. LSU was was not sliding inward correctly, and you've got to let the edge guys free so the quarterback and the receivers have time to make something happen. You can't let free runners come through the A and B gap, and they never did it, and what they were able to do is just work the short passing game. I, I thought Clemson's defensive line outplayed LSU's offensive line in the pass game uh, most of the night, but the adjustment to the quick pass game uh, and getting uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire involved uh, a little bit more late um, was a key factor. I, I thought that, 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 listen, a lot of the pressures were really four man pressures by Clemson. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have to blitz a lot. They had multiple guys in coverage and I'm telling you, they covered well until, mm-hmm. I mean, there were some throws that Joe Burrow placed it like you place a baby in a <laughs> bassinet. I mean, it's like it, it can only be there. Yep. I mean, this guy against three of the top four ranked teams of the country, Joe Burrow had 16 touchdown passes and zero interceptions. Uh, just unbelievable, unbelievable performance. Uh, all year long, unbelievable performance, nine straight 300-yard passing games, 13 on the year, uh, just simply just simply outstanding. Um, it, it's just incredible, just incredible yeah, season, performance. Yeah. A season that we will certainly uh, remember and will go down in, in history. I, I give you another part that was big. How, how about this? It's, you know, first half, third 19 for LSU, by 230 left in the half. 
than defensive pass interference. Yes. It gave LSU a chance, and they pounded. And, and, and they got what I thought was in range to get a field goal. Instead, they get the quarterback draw. They get a touchdown. That began a 21-point run for LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, that's huge. And then then I to the point where I thought, and I tweeted it out, all right, LSU gets the ball start of the second half. If Clemson doesn't get a stop, LSU goes in and scores a touchdown. It, it, it there's not enough. You, they, it won't be able. They won't be able to come back. It would I be also, a, 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 I also a, thought. A I also thought that I and I know that um, they were winning at that point, and you wanted to come away with points on the drive and credit the kicker for making a career long fifty two yard field goal. To me, just going into this game. I just felt like you can't kick field goals against LSU. Correct. You have to, it's either touchdown or bust. There's like three points does you nothing against this offense. So, you know, I, I get it. He made the field goal. That's great. And LSU extended, excuse me, Clemson extended their lead. I just felt that if I were Dabo in that moment, I'm, I'm keeping my offense on the field because it's either or I'm punting and, and pinning them deep. Actually, well, too close to punt at that point. But I keep my offense on the field because I know I need seven and three does me nothing. Yeah, I, I think at that point he was feeling good about his defense and that, well, of you course know, they were playing well, yeah. you know, and it, but it, in retrospect, yeah, they needed all the points. I think he knew that. I think he knew that he couldn't settle for three. Here's the other thing. That field goal kicker, uh, Hunter was. 0 for 4 in 40 plus yard uh, field goal attempts, 40 over 40 yards. So that was the first one he made. Now, yeah. granted, they didn't have to try a lot of them, but yeah, well, they, said also, they said also in pregame warmups, he was drilling them from like 55. Yeah, and you know, yeah, but you know, he hasn't done one again. But, but again, I think they felt like that we can't come away empty. Uh-huh. And that, look, that's always a part of it. Look, at the end of the day, they didn't play well enough offensively. Listen, Lawrence is going to be a great player probably be back there next year. Uh, he didn't have a good game. I mean, he overthrew yeah. a bunch of balls and he really, and there were some drops. Um, they didn't, they didn't throw Stingley's way at all. You know, the, the coaches there felt like they didn't want to throw at Stingley, but they felt like they could beat the other corners. And, you know, Lawrence just overthrew, um, you know, more balls and, and Brady outplayed him. There's no play. I mean, I just burrow outplayed him. Mm-hmm. And that was the difference in the game. And at the end of the day, you can play good defense, but you've got to be able to match points with this team. And Clemson couldn't match points. They just fell short. All right. Well, let's talk about the fallout from this game now. And I think as much as he said, I, I my plan is to be at LSU as long as they want me. You knew the NFL was going to come a calling for Joe Brady, who did such a tremendous job with the passing game for Ed Orgeron this year. And he was going to be a hot commodity. Matt Rule wanted him. He targeted him. And now Joe Brady goes to the NFL to become the Panthers offensive coordinator as his star continues to shine, Chris. Well, here's a perfect example of how things take place. People often have kind of a view that these things are – kind of plotted out and planned, and it really happened a lot more organically than people know. So <clears throat> Joe Brady gets hired uh, a year ago uh, from the Saints staff as a as, as a as an underling, looks like a low-level assistant, not not an assistant coach, not an assistant to the assistant coach, but a staffer that helps guys. And very bright, obviously, gets the job, 
and you know, he wasn't even, I mean, he just turned 30 while he was here at LSU. Yep. So I've known him as a young kid. And, you know, I say kid, he's a young man. That's just very bright. So he gets the job and it's a perfect storm. He has really good concepts that he brings over from the saints to a quarterback that is not only talented as we know, not only a gym rat, not only extremely bright, but this his style of offense that he ran as a quarterback for his entire life since high school, these route concepts only just enhance what he does and knows. And oh, by the way, I've said this several times, and I say it for emphasis because I can't stress it enough. Uh, he had one class this fall, a correspondence class that he took half a day on Sunday to complete every week. And he was a pro football player. You know, he wasn't one of those guys. He wasn't Matt Leonard going to the beach. When he took his one <laughs> class as a senior. He was in the football office working at football like a pro quarterback. Yeah, every when day. When you yep. have that and you have the talent, so it converges. Joe Brady did not think, nor did I think, he was going to be able to get an offensive coordinator job in the NFL after one year. No way. In fact, I think he would have been scared to death by it because he's never called a play. Uh-huh. To this year, Steve Insminger, Steve Insminger called the plays. As the season progressed, Steve said, look, why don't you call the plays on third down? And that was the first time. And he tells me he was as nervous. He's, I'm not going to say what he told me, but he said he was going to, he thought he was going to need to bring, uh, uh, you know, his a separate pair of underwear. Ch- change of clothes. <laughs> yeah, because he thought he was nervous. He's never done it, but he's bright. Okay, he's bright, but he's never done it. So he does it. He has success. I just talked about the numbers. Uh, just, I've never seen a year offensively for a like quarterback and a team quite like this. He has, you got great receivers to throw to. Great back. Uh, it's unbelievable. So they have unprecedented success. Well, as things play out, even during the season, where you're having success, that's fine. But then, you know, you got to go win the conference championship. Well, check that off. Did that. Got that done. Well, you got to go to the playoffs. You know, that's great. It's a good year and all that. But, you know, got to go to the – make the well, you get selected in the playoffs. Okay, you win the first game, that's fine. You got to win the title. I mean, you, you all of this, you know, plaudits going their way is all for not if Clemson's the champion today. It, it was LSU. So all of it came into play. Now, on top of all of that, Matt Rule gets the job at Carolina. We did not, we knew that Matt was going to be a candidate, but the Carolina situation, we're not sure, yada, yada. Matt gets the job, has freedom to do what he wants. Had he maybe mm-hmm. gone to, to the Giants, maybe he doesn't get as much freedom. He gets whatever he wants. It was known that he wanted to bring in Joe Brady. He also wanted to bring in Brandon Nugent, who's an assistant offensive line coach for the Saints. Brandon and Joe Brady are really close. Well, the Saints denied him uh, the opportunity, uh, being in the division and whatnot. And so the now you're dealing in a situation where Matt Rule wants Joe Brady, he is in a position to hire him. He hires him. Not only is he going to get a lot more money, 
But Joe Brady gets to bring any assistant he wants on the offensive staff. He gets wow. the keys to the whole. Now, that is not something he expected. I even put a post up on LandryFootball.com. This payday and this opportunity was not something that he saw coming a month ago. It just happened. All those things that I mentioned converge. And then, you know, the thing about it is, look, I I, I make no secret. I, I have it. Talking with Joe, I've always said to any young coach, look, sometimes you got to know when to go and you got to strike when the iron's hot. Um, there's no doubt he could have had success at LSU. But let's just call it like it is. LSU's offense next year will not do what it did this year. I don't uh-huh. care who's coaching it because Joe Burrow's not going to be there. So you're in a situation where, you know, you strike where the iron's hot. I mean, you go there, you know, his star is not going to be as bright next year if they go 10-2 and two and they're not putting up the big numbers. You fight, it'll never be bigger than it is now. Is it ideal in terms of is he the most prepared? Probably not. But he's he's going to have to work through it. And you know, he may not get – I've seen coaches wait, and they never get the opportunity quite as much. And I've seen other guys wait and get better opportunities. It's just – he. I don't think he was – necessarily going to get hired as a coordinator by the other openings out there but matt rule that connection it it, everything converged and feeling that look i may not get this opportunity a year from now i might not be as hot a year from now that's the reason why he's making the move now so from lsu standpoint might be george muna uh munez who might step in who's kind of was Joe Brady's assistant this year at LSU. They may bring somebody on the outside, but you know, it won't be the same, but it won't be the same. You know, Joe Brady won't be there, but also the biggest, the biggest factor is Joe Burrow won't be there. So that's the fallout as he moves on to Carolina. Absolutely. And and who knows with the seventh overall pick, maybe there's an opportunity to move up to number one and take Joe Burrow. <laughs> we'll see. What, There's uh... the Bengals, so you never know. If the, the Bengals are crazy enough to do that. Uh, by the way, there there it was a at one time a Bengals Panthers trade, but it was the opposite. It was the Bengals moving up to the number one spot or to the yeah the number one spot. Carolina, I remember it like it was yesterday, and that was when they moved up to draft Kajana Carter. This was in the expansion year, and Carolina had the number one pick. So, um, different people involved. Obviously, Mike Brown is still there. Who knows? Uh, Certainly, getting Joe Burrow and Joe Brady together would be optimal, and I would expect that David Tepper is going to look at different opportunities, but you know what? Who knows? Between, in my opinion, Joe Burrow and Tua. By the way, Late word out today that two has progressed so nicely that the plan is that he is going to be able to throw in April. Wow. For NFL teams. So we'll see. That is, it's awesome. So keep that in mind that, yeah, David Tepper, I think they've got to make some decisions. I don't think the future there is with Cam Newton. We'll see what Matt Rule and Joe Brady has to say and think about that. Yeah, I I I think we all agree uh, with that. We'll jump back into the pod in just a second, but I wanted to tell you guys that support for this podcast comes from Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools 
for your family jewels. So if you're going to pick any New Year's resolution this year, let it be to take care of your junk. And Manscaped is making it easy with their men's grooming products, and they've redesigned the electric trimmer. The Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. And Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti chafing deodorant, and moisturizer. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BELIEVE at manscaped.com. Start the new year off the right way by using the best tools for the job. And don't forget, Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code B-L-E-A-V. Well, uh, there's other coaching news, Chris, around the country. And uh, according to multiple reports, Justin Fuente is among the favorites for Matt Rule's old job at Baylor. What are you hearing about the possibility of Fuente leaving Virginia Tech? Yeah, we got that in our notebook uh, up right now on LandryFootball.com, and it is interesting. There's a little bit of agent um, at play here, but checking into it, there is interest. Baylor would like to speak with them. Uh, We'll see if they go through with it or promote from within. There is still another option or two, but I expect that to – come to conclusion here in the next maybe 48 hours. So we'll keep you up to date at LandryFootball.com and LandryFootball.com on the latest. But it is a real thing. I don't know if it's going to – here's the ironic thing, how this business works. Justin just finished uh, completing his coaching staff yesterday. You know, he made some staff changes. Bud Foster retired, and he made some changes on his staff uh, in addition to that. So he just completed his step. I'm wondering if it's a little bit of a leverage play to get a little bit more of an extension in Virginia Tech or not. We'll see. But I do know there is mutual interest. It's just whether that mutual interest is going to come into a an offer, which I think has a better than 50-50 chance of happening, and then B, an acceptance, which I think is only going to happen if Virginia Tech doesn't extend them. Virginia Tech doesn't extend them. Um, I could see him taking it. So stay tuned. A little bit of drama there happening between <clears throat> Waco and Blacksburg. And uh, other coaching news, Nick Rolovich leaving uh, his alma mater, Hawaii, and taking the job at Washington State. So uh, the Cougars, I guess, wanted to stay with a little bit of an air raid offense, huh? Yeah, boy, this is a really good move. Nick is an outstanding coach. Um, he's done a really good job there at Hawaii. Um, but you've got, you know, listen, resource wise, we talk about the PAC 12 doesn't match up to the SEC and the big 10, but they certainly are a lot better. Hawaii's resources are really minimal. Uh, it's a chance to go to the PAC 12 and a big step up and no, it's, this is a good move for them, uh, and get the, the people in place that, would be a would be a good fit. That that's a good administration there at Washington State. Um, this is a case of kind of knowing your fit, and I think this is a really good move. We kind of got wind of it, kind of went with it on Twitter yesterday, and it looked like it was going to happen. Then last night it got uh, got finalized. So good move for them, and now we'll see what happens in Hawaii. Give you another tidbit: somebody that has a potential interest in the job, and this would be talk about a blow. 
LSU defensive coordinator Dave Aranda. Could you imagine wow. Joe Brady goes up there? The problem I think is going to be Dave Aranda was an assistant at Hawaii, and I think uh-huh. likes it. He wants to be a head coach. Problem is, I don't think the budget's going to be what he wants. So, how much, how badly do you want to be a head coach? How much of a pay cut are you going to take? And needless to say, the living expenses in Hawaii and Honolulu are through the roof. So, uh, I don't know um, if that's going to be something he's willing to go through with, but I do know he wants to be a head coach. And I think he would have some level of interest. We'll see if that plays out. But what a what a blow that would be, and what a uh, holes to fill at LSU on both sides of the ball if that were to happen. Nothing to that yet. Just something that I'm speculating based upon Dave's background and interests, um, and we'll see if anything comes of it. Uh, I don't want to end the podcast on a down note, but this is a serious story, uh, one that broke here on Tuesday evening, and that is uh, an issue with Penn State mm-hmm. where a couple of former players have filed a federal lawsuit against head coach James Franklin and the school, um, citing some hazing scenarios that occurred with the football team. Uh, I know this is a serious issue. Um, how serious, from what you're hearing, uh, is is the school going to be handling this, especially when it comes to James Franklin's position as their head coach? Well, it's serious. They're going to have to address it. They're going to have to address it publicly. And is there anything to it? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what happened or what didn't happen. But it's something you got to get out front of. I mean, the the accusation is that not only it happened, but that they basically pushed him out the door because he was threatened and reported and, you know, it was caught. So they, they basically sent him down the road uh, because he was going to blow the whistle on him. Well, if that's the case, you, you certainly with their history um, don't want to have this as at the very least a PR black eye. Exactly. So they've got to get out in front of it and say, this didn't happen. This is what we've And again, I, I, you know, Scott, none of us know what happened in a situation like this or what didn't happen. So I think we just need to stay tuned um, on, on following. I mean, it's, it seems like it's going to be a case of he said, he said, because it involves a couple of players, but it involves players that were supposedly part of the hazing so you're going to have several players that, and obviously the administration at Penn State that's likely going to deny it against some that say it did happen. So what proof do they have? Are they looking for money? Uh, do they have anything of proof that could lead this down the road to where it's more than just, um, you know, a, a, a few-day news cycle but then leads to something bigger? Uh, any investigative bodies that become involved in trying to figure this out? I mean, these how these things uncover when something's there. I don't know that anything is there. We'll find out in the days and weeks to come. Yep. Well, Chris, it's been an incredible regular season, postseason uh, of college football, and it's been a fun for us here on the College Football Film Room. But we are not done, and I know you are not done at LandryFootball.com. We got all-star games coming up as players are getting ready to enter the NFL draft. We're going to be all over those, all over practices, the Senior Bowl, and all those other fun activities are coming up. And, yes, coaching cycle news as well, and the recruiting trail. 
There's just so much information to digest at LandryFootball.com. Right, Chris? We, we do. Absolutely. Again, a lot of assistant coaching moves. I mean, just, um, you know, Notre Dame promoting Tommy Reese and Oregon still looking for an offensive coordinator. Georgia's looking at a couple of moves. And so, yeah, you're getting some of those things taking place. We'll see some more coaching news takes place after signing day uh, in February, the second signing day. We've got information on that. And, and it never stops because now there's probably more information on 2021 class recruiting because most of the recruiting classes are in the books. As you mentioned, uh, players declaring for the draft. We're going to have a few more as that deadline's approaching. AJ Appenza of Iowa is declared for the draft. And we got all that covered for you. All the details over at LandryFootball.com. You can catch it. Um, you know, what's going on, uh, the recruiting analysis, evaluations, draft prospects, draft boards, scouting reports. We got it all for you. NFL draft, college information, NFL information, one-stop shopping football. Check it out at LandryFootball.com. Still have our holiday special going up. Um, still in the holiday spirit. So mm-hmm. we've got that uh, 50% off. Take advantage of it today for one year, 50% off, and you'll be on top of it. The college and pro game better than anyone out there. And be sure to follow Chris on Twitter at LandryFootball. You can follow me at Scott's on Air and subscribe, rate, and review the college football film room wherever you get your podcasts from or check us out on the Believe Podcast Network at BLEAV.com. Until next week, Chris, I'll talk to you then. Hey, look forward to it, buddy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.